everyone. Today is part two of the um, Summer Book Club series that I'm doing on Viola Davis's book, Finding Me. If you haven't heard episode one, I encourage you to go back and check that one out. Uh, I broke this series down into four parts. The first episode was on the environments that kind of contributed to um, the upbringing of Viola Davis. Uh, today's episode is going to uh, be a little bit of commentary on her experiences with racism throughout her life. Um, and then the next two episodes will kind of jump into like trauma, mental health, and uh, the the theme of hope and how she kind of turned some things around. So um, definitely uh, stay tuned to that. Today's episode on racism is going to be rather brief. Uh, mainly because I um, have covered many different aspects of racism on this podcast. Um, so more so today, I'm not going to give as much commentary. I, I would really just like to share uh, some of the highlights that I made from this book um, as they um, resonated with me. So I'm going to break this episode down into three small parts. So the first is going to be childhood the 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 next uh, uh, sampling of quotes that I share is going to be uh, racism that she faced uh, in her education at Juilliard. And then finally, she uh, shares several examples about how she's encountered racism within her profession of acting. So um, to jump in, I have a quote. Whether you have an education or not, the ugliness of racism comes down like a hammer. It enveloped my life when I was eight, and at 23, I was still bullied by it, end quote. Um, and so I'm going to jump into a little bit about her experience when she was a child um, dealing with racism. So, quote, eight or nine white boys in my class made it their daily end-of-school ritual to chase me like dogs hunting prey. When that end-of-school bell rang, it was off to the races, running literally to save my life. For the, for the gang of boys, it was sadistic fun time. Every day, it was the same madness, the same trauma. Me taking off like Wilma Rudolph or Flojo, and them tight on my heels. While chasing me down, they would pick up anything they could find on the side of the road to throw at me. Rocks, bricks, tree branches, batteries, pine cones, and anything else their devious eyes spied. But running me down and throwing projectiles at me wasn't enough for them. Their vitriolic, vitriolic screams were aimed at the target of their hate. They threw, you ugly black nigger, you're so fucking ugly, fuck you. Thank God I was fast. I had to run my ass off down Eben Brown Lane, the route I would take because it was a shortcut to get home, an idyllic road that looked like a scene from the Brady Bunch. At times, the boys would hide behind the houses on that street, and I would have to duck and dodge and crisscross. I was being hunted. By the time I got home, I was a snot-dripping, crying mess every day. End quote. So my only commentary here is that the physical uh, torture that her bullies uh, dished out uh, wasn't as hurtful as the words that were said. Um, 
And this kind of sentiment of uh, being too black or um, being perceived as others as being ugly, that is something that started at a young age that kind of carries through Viola Davis's life. So you will see that in the next two samplings of quotes that I share. So uh, Viola Davis makes it through childhood. Um, and she uh, does her undergraduate, and then she uh, pursues a uh, graduate program at Juilliard um, to hone her skill of acting. Uh, this was the most um, surprising part to me because, um, I mean, I don't know much about Juilliard, but I know that it's supposed to be very prestigious for the arts and things like that. Um, but it was interesting hearing her perspective of that educational experience and how um, it was very much a fit into this box or else kind of um, environment there. But I will let the quotes speak for themselves. So here we go. Quote, the one other black person in my class group was Cedric Harris, only 30 Black students in total of 856 students at Juilliard were enrolled in all the disciplines, drama, music, and dance. We called ourselves the Black Caucus. I was a part of that Black Caucus. Every January, we had our Martin Luther King celebration, a variety show. To this day, I would say it's some of the greatest work I've ever seen by artists and dance, music, drama. Creative pieces were put together to honor Black history, Black autonomy, us, me. Everything was included from Zulu dancers to great opera and gospel. We were forbidden to perform anything other than opera, ballet, European classics, period. We were warned not to perform in the MLK celebration, if actors came into the school and were already working, they were strongly told to stop. Jazz, jazz, gospel, tap, modern, any ethnic material was on the forbidden list. We called on all of the above when we created the MLK celebration. It was our rebellion. We were told it would ruin our instrument. Well, our soul was our instrument, too. Very few members of the faculty would even come. We felt racially and individually neutered by a philosophy built on forgetting about ourselves. Their ignorance made us fight harder for ourselves and our craft. Juilliard forced me to understand the power of my blackness. I spent so much of my childhood defending it, being ridiculed for it. Then in college, proving I was good enough. I had compartmentalized me. At Juilliard, I was mad. Every year, I would try to squeeze myself into every project and every character. I thought I had to. Corsets and huge European wigs that never fit over my braids. Listening to classmates ooh and ah over the beautiful costumes and imagining how awesome life would have been back in the 1780s. I kept wanting to scream it. Shit, I'm different than you. If we went back to 1780, we couldn't exist in the same world. I'm not white. The absolute shameful objective of this training was clear. Make every aspect of your blackness disappear. How the hell do I do that? And more importantly, why? 
None of my counterparts had to perfect Jamaican Southern urban dialect to be considered excellent. I am black. I'm dark with big lips and a wide nose and thighs. I'm Viola. In my second year, Juilliard was offering a $2,500 scholarship for any student who wanted to do a summer program that opened them up as artists, helped with their growth, unleashed something within. We had to write a five-page essay explaining it. I wrote that I was lost, that there was no way to unleash passion when you were asked to perform material that not only didn't touch your heart, but wasn't written for you. I told them of the burden and myopic scope of Eurocentric training. I got the scholarship. For years, I thought the rule was to erase and negate oneself. That's what I was doing. Lose the voice, speech, walk, face. Lose the blackness. Lose and bury the very essence of what makes you you and create something void of joy but steeped in technique. End quote. So I won't go into it on this episode, but you you can clearly see how there was a lot of um, uh, pressure to assimilate um, when she was at Juilliard, um, very Eurocentric um, curriculum there. And um, she talks a lot about how it really made her... Um, uh, compartmentalize or to downplay her sense of self and identity because the the pressure was to fit the mold. Um, not to mention the fact that it was a very uh, competitive um, environment and uh, having to keep up with the the coursework and stuff like that. Um, I will add that when she won that scholarship, uh, I believe if I'm not mistaken, she went to Africa. Um, and that was a, an experience for her to really embrace her blackness. Um, and she learned so much and it was very uh, healing. I believe I give a little bit more context on that in episode four, which is the, the topic of that episode is hope. Um, so definitely stay tuned. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it was a very oppressive, um, uh, tough time to kind of navigate that. Um, and, you know, I, I believe that people of color can kind of relate to this, um, obviously, even though most of us are not in the acting profession, um, but feeling like we have to um, code switch or uh, fit into a mold in order to be able to excel in our profession. Um, that's definitely a universal experience. So uh, the final part of this episode, I want to talk about how she has um, encountered uh, racism and the difference in standards um, within her profession of acting. So once she's out of Juilliard and she's a working uh, actress all the time, kind of some of the things that she ran into. Quote, my other aha moment was the power, potency, and life force of the one-two punch of colorism and sexism. Most every role I auditioned for were drug-addicted mothers. I auditioned for a few roles that were low-budget for a woman of color, 
but all of them were described as light-skinned. All. The others were soap operas where I would be sitting in the audition waiting room with models. Black rom-coms were happening. There were awesome shows on TV that displayed the cute black girl who had autonomy and material wealth, but none of these none of those women looked like me. An agent told me the word all casting directors use when on the phone. Interchangeable. That means even if you are a little darker, you have to have smaller, classical, read, whiter features. That wasn't me. What made it worse is that it's not just presented by white executives, but also black artists and producers. You begin to adapt the ideology of the oppressor. It becomes the key to success. Culturally speaking, many believe it, and they have adopted the belief that if you're dark, you're uglier, harder, more masculine, more maternal than your lighter skin counterparts. It's the paper bag test mentality that many still refuse to believe. And so then she goes on to talk about the movie that she was in called The Help. Quote, unfortunately, The Help is a movie our culture, our country was not ready for. Jack Nicholson's quote in A Few Good Men describes it best. You can't handle the truth. Another narrative took place in The Help that was not explored. That had absolutely nothing to do with the artists involved. It had to do with history and indictments and the fact that Abilene was a maid. I didn't have a problem playing a maid. I don't care about someone's occupation. My misgiving was playing a character who was unexplored. I wanted to hear how Abilene felt about working for racist white women and about the person asking the questions, a young white woman who's coming to visit at night. Abilene's life is on the line. Abilene is literally almost sacrificing her life to, to talk to her about what it feels like to be black in 1963, working for a white household where you can't even use the bathroom. My other issue was when Abilene and the others were offered money and we refused it because we were so honorable, we felt it was more important for us to tell the story than take the money. I disagree. We would have taken the money. Being honorable is a fantasy. Survival and how it brings out our nature is human. Abilene was food insecure. The only food she had in her house was the preserves that her next door neighbor gave her. If Skeeter offered her $38 and said, I know you're putting your life on the line, but I need to know how you really feel, Abilene is going to take the money. She's hungry. The fact that they didn't take the money the fact that nowhere in the course of the movie or in private did they call any of those people a white motherfucker or anything, it would be how we would talk in private under those sorts of extreme circumstances. But basically, um, Viola Davis is talking about how um, she was playing a role in this movie, The Help, but the the character was very uh, vague 
and they didn't really explore the they didn't explore her character as much as they could have and there were definitely some things about the script that um viola found um problematic um and so in the book she's just kind of providing context um and all of this is under the uh environment of we have to make something palatable to be uh to be able to be um consumed by the masses so i just wanted to give a little commentary on that i hope that made sense Um, but i'm going to continue on quote criticism of the help has nothing to do with the people involved in it it has to do with everything that has gone on even now with conscious unconscious bias and microaggressions This is the stuff we don't talk about, but is threaded throughout time. I didn't know that those thoughts, feelings, and messiness weren't marketable. I'm a dark-skinned woman. Culturally, there is a spoken and unspoken narrative rooted in Jim Crow. It tells us that dark-skinned women are simply not desirable. All the attributes that are attached to being a woman, desirable, vulnerable, needing to be rescued, don't apply to us. In the past, we've been used as chattel, fodder for inhumane experimentation, and it has evolved into invisibility. How it plays out in entertainment is that we are relegated to best friends, to strong, loudmouth, sassy lawyers, and doctors. We are there as eye-rolling, ambiguous sidekicks. It sends a clear message that we, as a society, believe the lie that has been fed to us. A lot of black female actors hired for certain roles, as one of my agents said, look interchangeable, so that if you put their features on a white actress, there would be no indication that they're black. They have to be the perfect shade of black, not too dark to be considered ugly, but not too light that you can't tell that they are black. I've heard these comments throughout my entire career. As much as I hate to admit it, despite the awards, I felt cursed. I felt invisible. My healing balm came when Pete Nowak and Chanda Rhimes offered me the role of Annalise Keating and How to Get Away with Murder. Everything changed. It was a leading lady role on network television. She was described as a sexual, smart, vulnerable, possibly sociopathic, highly astute criminal defense attorney. And she had a husband and a boyfriend. I never saw anyone on network TV who looked like me playing a role like this. It was one of those moments that I always prayed for, but suddenly it was forcing me to confront my own shortcomings. It's like the saying goes that you have to see it to believe it. I didn't see it. End quote. So this right here, uh, This section kind of covers, you know, racism, colorism, uh, expectations, um, you know, in media and stuff like that. So um, it all kind of culminates with uh, her getting the role in How to Get Away with Murder, which is how she is, uh, how Viola Davis is best known. Um, My wife and I binge watched that entire show. We definitely loved it. but yeah, just kind of talking about the the different hurdles that um, black women have to overcome within the acting field. And I think these experiences are very universal to other professions as well. 
Um, obviously, uh, things turn around for her with the role of Annalise Keating on how to get away with murder. Um, obviously, her platform has exploded since then. Um, but yeah, I'm going to end off on that note. But definitely join me back on the next episode uh, where I'm going to get a little bit more in-depth into uh, Viola Davis's experiences with trauma, therapy, mental health, that sort of thing. So you definitely won't want to miss it. Uh, but until, t- uh, until next time, thank you for listening and take care. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast, and best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today.